Well, it's, it's, it's a superior example of a mid-18th century house. Mm -hmm. But if I were to uh, uh, talk historically about houses, and pick the earlier period, at the end of the 17th century or the beginning of the 18th century, uh, houses were built a little smaller and less grand than Judson House, but they were pretty much on the same style. In uh, New England, the uh, colonial house had a massive center chimney, usually down the basement, it was measured 10, 12 feet square, and uh, that massive center chimney would have a large fireplace in one room uh, that was called the uh, keep or the hall, and eventually became the kitchen. Uh, and that massive fireplace would uh, almost always have a beehive oven in it. Do you know what a beehive oven is? Uh, not exactly. Would it be one that would be in the wall? Like yeah, I'll show you. Oh, you have one here? Yeah. But here's an example of the kind of thing I'm oh, talking about. Wonderful. Uh, that uh, brick oven, you never actually had a flame in there. What you do is put the coals in, heat up the bricks, and you shovel them out, and then put the bed or whatever you're baking in there. I guess, the, I guess this is but, functional. Uh, you could use this one. Yes, you could, as a matter of fact. And initially, in the oldest houses, they were at the back of the fireplace. In later houses, they brought them out to here. Mm -hmm. This is the only one I've ever seen. It's kind of in an intermediate position. Yeah. This is a, and this was a, um, I guess, is this, if this is an example of, of the uh, of fireplace, which is very important to the family at, at that time, uh, this, this well, I guess, was oh, the center of activities. It, it sure so, was, yeah. They lived around it. Yeah. Anyhow, the, uh, the, the, uh, at, at the beginning of the 1700s, there are two houses in town that represent that period. Uh, in all likelihood, both of those houses were built like uh, uh, English, uh, I wouldn't say manorial houses, but the, the houses of the English yeoman or farmer uh, of the same period. They built what they had had at home. Mm -hmm. uh, they very soon found out they needed to change the materials. Uh, at home, uh, they would use uh, 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 thatch, and incidentally, uh, thatch is the stuff that's grown right out here. Is what they made thatch of. The, uh, 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 marsh grasses turned into thatch. When they got here in New England, they found the thatch rotted, and uh, so very soon they started putting up wood shingles and using those for the material. But the idea, the general shape of the house, was the same. It had this big chimney in the center, and downstairs and on the second floor, if it had a second floor, and not all of them did. Uh, there'd be one room on each side of the chimney, so it'd be a two-room over two-room house. Now, what dates are we talking about? Uh, we're talking about, uh, actually, these were built as early as 1650, but the uh, earliest ones left in Stratford date probably from about 1690. Now, we aren't even sure of that, and architectural historians will differ on it. Uh, but there's one that belongs to the town of Stratford near Baldwin Center. It's called the Perry House. Uh, there's another one over on uh, Elm Street that uh, Dick and Joyce Slater in, uh, live in, and it's called the, uh, uh, the General Walker House, or the Walker House. I think that both of those houses were changed into salt box houses, uh, but originally had been built as something else. And that's why I think they're early. What, 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 what do you, uh, do you know what the, uh, what was the key 
variable to date the house. Did you use any kind of a process to uh, come up with a hypothetical date? Well, yes, it was it was this general structure. Oh, just as general. The pre-salt box uh, general uh, uh, shape, but a small house of the type I'm talking about uh, is the kind of house that was built from 1650 to probably to 1725. Mm -hmm. So those houses were built during that period of time. So those particular ones the earliest record we have of somebody saying they had a house on the Perry House property was 1690. I assume it was that house. Other people say no, it was completely rebuilt and that house actually dates from later than that. What would be the oldest house in structure? It's one of those two. One, either the Perry House or the... Or, or the uh, one the Slaters live in, the well, Walker House. The Walker yeah. House. Now, the one we, we were discussing in the beginning was the Judson House, how is that pronounced? Yeah. J that came later, J-U-D-S-O-N, Judson. Okay. Uh, that came later because uh, once people, uh, uh, when they wanted to expand their houses or make them bigger, they added this shed onto the back. It's kind of a lean-to on the back. Mm -hmm. And both of the two that I'm talking about had that lean-to added. But then, later on, they started building houses with that lean-to. This house doesn't look like it, but this was built as one of those salt boxes mm -hmm. in, I figure, about the 1730s. Uh, with that lean-to roof in back. Mm -hmm. And you could stand on the ground out back and touch the roof. But on the front, it, it was two stories high. Where do you think the lean-to influence comes from? The, uh, well, there are some stories on it that I'm not sure are true. Uh, the, uh, in the period of uh, Queen Anne, uh, a house was taxed for the number of stories, they say, uh, that it had. And if it looked as though the roof came down to the first story, the taxes would be lower. Uh, that's a little bit skeptical, and I've never seen that in actually in writing. But you see the same story repeated uh, time and time again in uh, uh, architectural histories. But it's all speculation. Now, I think the real reason for the lean-to is, is, uh, is, is a more likely climatic. Because in Stratford particularly, a great many of those houses originally faced south. The front faced south. You got more sunlight on this on this wall, and it heated it up. Uh, the back uh, part where the uh, north winds or the storm winds came in, the roof went all the way down and protected you better. And I, th I think that had a lot to do with it. And incidentally, there are uh, neither of, or I should say that that Slater House does not face south anymore, but it did when it was built, and it was moved in 1934 to a different location, but it originally faced south. Up on Huntington Road, there are a couple of them uh, where the, the high part, the front part, faces south, and the old uh, uh, lean-to went right down to the ground on the north side. Um, the just thing talking about Stratford, Stratford is 350-year anniversary next year, mm -hmm. right? so it's about 16... What would 1639. Be? So 1639 when it was founded, right? Yeah. Can By you, the way, the, the story's on the monument over there, if you want to take a look at it sometime when you're going by. Oh, really? Yeah. And that's, and that's right here on Stratford? I wrote right? it, but I think it's accurate in spite of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was it? Uh, 1970 we put that in, about 18 years ago. Really? The first one in the state. So, yes, 1639, uh, the town was founded. It was founded right here. Uh, you hear people talk about Max Harbor, where the town started. Uh, this area here that is now Marsh is open harbor, and it is what they call Stratford Harbor, and the houses were all around it right here. And this is, this is called Stratford Harbor now? It's called Max Harbor now. Max uh, Harbor. It was, uh, 
later on named for a little he was they say he was black but I think he was more likely mostly Indian and he came along uh, around about 1800 or so and uh, he uh, harvested oyster shells and brought them up here and sold them and uh, they made them into uh, wall plaster uh, the this fellow Ma Max gentleman Mac. has left less or oh, Mac is M-A-C or M-A-C-K he couldn't he'd spell it either way because he couldn't spell I see <laughs> so Mac but um, so the those are the two most important, uh, uh, or the two oldest, and uh, yeah, of course there's a little yeah, controversy yeah. surrounding which makes it interesting. Yeah. Uh, what that, uh, what are some of the names of the um, what are some of the names of the other uh, homes that? Uh, okay, well let's let's talk about the Judson House because the third period was the late 1700s, just before the Revolution. They were building two-story colonial houses, larger now with more rooms. Uh, they had kind of the same layout as those salt boxes, but instead of having just a, uh, a, uh, a little garret or, or uh, closet at the rear of the second floor, they had a full-scale full room in there. And that's what Judson House looks like. And they fancied them up. Just, Judson House has a neat uh, uh, front door with, with uh, nice carvings on it. And the colonial cabinet makers, or uh, yeah, I guess you'd call them cabinet makers, the man who built the house was called, he wasn't called a carpenter usually, he was called a joiner. Mm -hmm. And the reason is the kind of frames they used, you, you pegged them together like uh, an erector set and then put the clapboards on and stuff. So you joined the house. But some of the people who worked on these things, like the uh, guy who worked on Judson House, uh, were better than joiners. They were really cabinet makers. They were artisans. They, they could do a, a beautiful job. Of, making fancy-looking moldings and panels and such. They took a lot of pride in their work in their community. They did, time. absolutely. Yeah. You can often tell uh, who did a job in those uh, times because each one of them had a little, uh, a, uh, little uh, plane uh, that was he had made to his own shape. Mm -hmm. And by uh, looking at, at uh, this, the edges of this panel, you can tell whose plane did it. In those in those days, did um, did people make their own tools? I mean, I imagine they used wooden tools yeah. and what have you. Or, yeah. Right. The only piece of of, uh, of metal on a plane was the uh, blade itself, and and uh, they would to get the shape they wanted on that blade. Uh, they'd work and work and work to get that uh, shape, mm -hmm. and then they would craft the rest of it. Now sometimes guys who could do this well would do it for other guys, but by and large they'd be making their own. Sure. So after the revolution, then, uh, new types, new and different types of houses uh, uh, started coming in. Now the, uh, the uh, Young Republic, when uh, this was, we were on our way to, to uh, uh, paradise in the United States, the ancient re uh, republics were going to be reborn and, and uh, life on earth was going to be fabulous. Uh, and they didn't have to build the houses nearly as, as heavy because they didn't need to be protected as much from Indians or from the French or the Dutch or people that they worried about. Uh, so they could get a little more frilly and build the houses lighter. So there's two periods of construction post-revolutionary, and we'll talk mostly about the one they call Greek Revival, where uh, they wanted the houses to look like Greek temples. We've got quite a few of those in town. 
one of the most striking of those is up on the corner of Broad Street and Elm Street. And it's right next door to uh, that old Walker house. Uh, and it uh, is a house that was, <coughs> that was built uh, by Lieutenant Governor David Plant. Uh, David Plant was a uh, uh, politician. He was in the Connecticut Assembly from around 1818 to 1825. He was Lieutenant Governor for a couple of years. Uh, he went into the United States Congress for a couple of years, and uh, when he was going to school in the very early 1800s, uh, one of his buddies was John Calhoun, and Dave Plant and John Calhoun uh, went together to Yale, and then they went to, to uh, Tappan Reed's Law School up at uh, the other end of the state, first law school in the country actually, uh, for a couple of years together. They were really good friends. Uh, Plant uh, went down to uh, visit Calhoun uh, uh, one time some years later and it was right after that he built his house and one of his descendants uh, said that uh, she thinks Calhoun influenced uh, seeing Cal the ho Calhoun's house and, and houses in his neighborhood uh, in influenced the construction of uh, David Plant's uh, uh, Calhoun's house, house is, uh, is is another area where there are historic homes? It's, uh, well, Calhoun, of course, is from uh, uh, South Carolina. And, and some of that frilly southern influence was put into David Plant's house when he built it, built it in 1825. I see. And in other words, there was a migration of people from the south into this area. But that more must like, have been... No, more like a migration of ideas. A migration of ideas? Yes, yeah. But the, what, a what, better what, interchange of ideas. What was the communication system? Was that, I mean, was it Boston Buggy or so on and so forth? Yeah, it was a case of, of uh, it, people were able to visit each other a little more easily than they had been in the past. Mm -hmm. uh, in the 1700s, there were sailing packets that could take you to Boston or New York. Mm -hmm. uh, but in the uh, 1800s, uh, they were starting to run steamships. You could get from here to New York, from Stratford to New York by steamship, mm -hmm. starting in 1824. Mm -hmm. <coughs> and... Uh, the railroads didn't come in until about 1840, 1850. So if Plant was going to go visit uh, Calhoun, uh, in all likelihood, he'd, he'd, uh, he'd take a packet partway, one of these packet vessels, either sailing ship or, or steam and sail and so on. Uh, but if it were inland, uh, he'd, he'd go on the stage line. And the stage coasts were uh, pretty rough on your fanny, actually. But uh, <coughs> it's the way people travel. And it's a, heck of a lot better than it had been a century earlier when you went horseback over uh, roadless uh, wastes. Mm -hmm. So that's how they would uh, travel. It would be by stage or more likely uh, uh, by some one or another kind of missile. I see. Upon the, um, let's say, Stratford was named and discovered at one point in time. Um, uh, did it have anything to do with the simultaneous discovery of, of uh, Long Island? Or was that going on about the same time? Or actually it's older? Uh, how does that work? Uh, okay. Uh, actually, uh, uh, all of the founding of Connecticut, of course, is a, it's a uh, religious thing. It has to do with the, uh, with, uh, in England, the people who wanted to go back to, we'll call it the old time, the religion of the uh, Puritans, who uh, felt that uh, 
that Henry VIII's church was becoming fancy like the Roman church, and they didn't want any of that. Uh, you know, even, even a cross up in the church they felt was idolatry, and, and uh, they wanted to keep it very simple and fundamental. <coughs> well, the king and his uh, uh, Archbishop of Canterbury and the Bishop of London didn't see it that way. So that's why these people came to New England and founded New England, so that they could, they could have the kind of religion they wanted. Of course, the uh, second group that came along had to do what the first group wanted done. They wanted freedom of religion for themselves, but not for everybody. Uh, in any case, uh, Thomas Hooker and, and uh, uh, others uh, didn't exactly like what was happening in Massachusetts, so they walked over to uh, Connecticut, set up three towns there, Hartford and Windsor and Wethersfield, and they founded a colony. That they used the Indian name for the colony, and uh, the name meant Long River. Connecticut. Mm -hmm. So, but Stratford's name, in other words, the name of Stratford comes from? We honestly don't know where the name comes from, uh, but those were the people who only five, four years after they founded that colony, some of them came down here and, and, and they, they, this looked like even better land than they had found up there. On this great sea with all sorts of fish and there was shellfish out here, the oysters were a foot in diameter, and uh, <laughs> they were very much afraid that people from New Haven or the Dutch would uh, would take this land if they didn't. That's why they settled here. We really don't know how it became Stratford, but I'm sure <coughs> that it was named after a Stratford that someone came from. A Stratford in England. And I, and I honestly don't know. Uh, uh, you know, everybody says Stratford-upon-Avon. Well, that's the easy way out. The fact is, a lot of these people came from Essex and Suffolk in, in eastern England. And there's a Stratford there. And some of them uh, uh, came, uh, uh, some of them uh, took ship in London. And there's a little Stratford in the corner of London. Yes, I, well, I mean, I know that many of the towns in, many of the towns here in England, I mean, uh, so New England is, uh, you know, named after towns in England. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean. And it was named after one town in England. But I'm not at all that sure that it was Stratford-upon-Avon. Right. And we just, I guess maybe we have to assume that. Well, well that's we, what we it's a better assumption. We do assume. Is the terrain or anything, are there any similarities that uh, have been historically uh, no. put together between them, like a geographical environment or, uh, you know, any particular similarities, and maybe the names of homes or houses or anything like that, that might indicate that there was some in, uh, relationship between Stratford-upon-Avon? Not really. Stratford-upon-Avon doesn't have much in common with uh, Stratford here. Uh, <laughs> uh, later on, when uh, according to uh, John Hausman, when uh, Lawrence Langner built the theater here, uh, Langner tried to persuade everybody that Housatonic was the Indian word for Avon, mm -hmm. but uh, he was never able to back that up. Besides, <laughs> 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 so I think that was just Hausman uh, sniping at Langner. Housatonic was the Indian word for Avon, but no, the uh, you can't. Uh, I, I can't really see any similarities. So what were the three, in other words, we covered three of the historic homes. Do you think we can cover at least uh, maybe ten? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What would be a, 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 another group of yeah. homes? Maybe okay. you, you can just we talk, name a few and then we can write in them in a similar context. Yeah. We talked the earliest period. Uh, I didn't give you an example of the uh, of the salt box, but there are some. We talked about the Judson House. And that brings us up to the revolutionary period. The plant house uh, in, uh, 
as a Greek revival house. This was one of the earliest of, of uh, the uh, how, types of houses built after the American Republic. Uh, to my mind, the uh, next important period is uh, <coughs> the period when people were building, well, we'll call it uh, carpenter gothic houses or steamboat gothic. Uh, these uh, houses were decorated like uh, antique gothic churches, but they were made of wood. And uh, it was a period that, that when it went out of fashion, it really went out of fashion. So there aren't many left. Uh, you're you're, this, you're um, speaking about different periods or of development of Stratford. Yeah. Okay. Can yeah. you give me a, perhaps a range of dates that might even even make up a range sure. of dates where I can sure. put maybe into into different categories? Yeah. yeah. The Greek revivals from 1810 to 1830 or 1840. 1840. 1840. Greek revival. That's where you'd see the Greek revival homes. Okay. And uh, then they started picking. Uh, obviously, this this kind of thing overlapped a lot. But well, I mean, what about but, the development uh, of it? I mean, we're starting here from 1810, but actually, yeah. it was founded in uh, 1639. You said right. You're talking about the periods for each of the kind of housing. That oh, this would be. The, this is. Oh, I see. This is the periods for the, each of the kind of housing. Yeah. Can we? I thought that's what you were asking. Yes. Well, in a way, I was. But I guess that would be <coughs> within the context of right. the general period yeah. of history. Yeah. What would be? Can you? Can you? From the beginnings until now, are there any yeah. periods? What would that be? Yeah. I have, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I've divided the books, like the Ages of Man, I've divided the book into seven parts. Oh, I see. Uh, and uh, the first 50 years, uh, 1639 to around 1690 or a little before 1700, really, uh, that's the period that I consider the uh, town to be nothing but a, a plantation. It really was in the wilderness. Around about 1700, it became almost like an English uh, uh, town, a true colonial town. In that period, uh, in the book, I am calling the uh, uh, inner colony of the king. And that ran until, really, until 1775 when there was a, the abrupt change. But these... Uh, that goes 1700 to about where? To about how far? To 18, and then, and then uh, no, uh, the 1700 period to, say, to 1775, three-quarters of the way through the century. Okay. Uh, these towns were, in, in many respects, just like English towns. And they thought of it as being a permanent thing. You know, we think of it as being the colonial period. They thought of it as, as it was going to go on for all time. It, was, it wasn't until the 1760s or maybe even the early 1770s when they realized something precipitous was going to happen. Mm -hmm. Now we have, okay, so after 1775, why, uh, what would be after that? Because we go right into 1810, which would, which would be the Greek revival influence in terms of the architecture. Yeah. What brought about the change from going from an English town to the Greek revival structure? Okay. What, what happened here? So it goes 1775 to, eight, eight, no, 1810 to 1810 might be a developmental period? Uh, well, as a matter of fact, there's another architectural period in there that I didn't mention because there aren't, there aren't, uh, <coughs> there aren't any uh, important federal houses left in uh, Stratford, but we call it, we architecturally would call that period the federal period. Oh, a federal period, 1775 to 1810. Yeah. As a matter of fact, there is, and I, I should have mentioned this. The, uh, is a, a, an outstanding example of a federal house 
uh, over on Main Street and West Broad Street. It's the house that uh, Jack Daly has just refurbished, and uh, there's a bunch of medical men have offices in it now. It's right across from the uh, Catholic Church, and, and uh, it's a uh, it's a brilliant federal period house. Hmm. Uh, what is the name of that? Well, it says William Samuel Johnson on it, but right. it was it was Samuel William Johnson. Uh, this was Willie Sam's son. Uh, <coughs> but when they put a sign on it some years back, you notice the American Revolution got caught up in this thing and they made a mistake. Uh, house was built in 1799, and it was the son of the signer of the Constitution that built it and lived in it. It, it was the son of the, of the signer of the Constitution? Yeah. Of Samuel Johnson, right? Uh, William Samuel Wh Johnson was the signer, and Samuel William yes. uh, was the guy who built the house. Oh, Samuel William. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and the Johnsons and their descendants lived in it until about 1910, actually. They lived in it for over 100 years. That's some of the signer of the Constitution. Yeah. I know it's on here, but I'm doing this here so I can answer the question. Um, okay, so what we have now is... That's interesting. And that was when the country was brand new. And the architecture reflected it. Uh, they went to a very symmetrical architecture, a classic architecture. And that's the way they thought things were going to be in the... In, the, uh, in other words, they, they the thought country. of society as being very permanent in those days rather than... <coughs> yeah. Now we're yeah. used to change. And the millennium was at hand, you know, and it didn't happen that way. But they thought perfection was on its way, and that's why these neat symmetrical houses, they are architecturally very nice, I think. Interestingly enough, we have here the English town. Of course, we have 1776, so during that time, we have these constitution signs, so we were going through some water, changed the whole country. We oh, yeah. Going through some vast changes yeah. at this point. Yeah. And, and then, interestingly enough, soon after the constitution was signed, immediately going to the federal period, which you call the federal period, well, could we say that might be a governmental period or more government influence in the town or so on and so forth? Uh, was there more control? Yeah just for talk, uh, discussion. No, as a matter of fact, there was less. Uh, yeah, as, as far as government was, was concerned, uh, the town, I think, was more self-sustaining after the uh, uh, break uh, with England. The town was more, more on its own for a while. Of course, in the state, the state of Connecticut, the towns never were totally alone. The, uh, state government calls the shots and the town does what the state says it can do. You know, it's a small state <coughs> and, and uh, tightly knit. That's quite different from uh, some of the larger and newer states. I see. So the, uh, okay, the Greek revival home. Are there any other, okay, um, the Federal House is the only, uh, William Samuel Johnson House, is the only uh, monument to the Federal period or Oh, there are some others. Well, that's no, the tip. It's, well, that's it's the, the only one I can think of offhand. Oh, that's great. It's a classic house. It's, 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 it's good. Only going, it's if you go to one, you can get an idea what the yeah. Federal period is. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now, we go into the Greek Revival House, of which then we've, we've, we've already discussed yeah. many of the homes. Yeah, and David Plant's uh, house is, is an excellent example of that. There are others around town. Usually, the uh, uh, some of the Greek Revivals had two-story columns up front going right up to a pediment. And, uh, the, the column influence comes from, what, uh, maybe from South, the, some of the ideas from Washington? Or, no. No, just no, they come from Greece. From Greece. Yeah, it's, uh, 
this uh, Greek revival thing, it went through Europe a little before the United States. So you might say it comes from Greece by way of France and England. You go over to England and you, and you, and you see in the early 1800s a, a lot of banks and government buildings named that. Have you put together any kind of video? Has anybody put together any kind of video uh, on, on any of the new statue? Perhaps maybe uh, you would make a video where you could walk around and you go to yeah. different places and you speak and you uh, see a video. That's nice. No, uh, I'm, uh, I run slideshows every now and then when people want to. i got to do one for the school kids up at Worcester. Well, this way, you know, the interpretation yeah. you know, is correct. But the, uh, we uh, do have, the school system is going to make a historical video. It won't have much in the way of architecture in it. But it's it's going to be the town's history, a 40-minute video, video of the town's history, and they're getting ready to start that now, and that'll be ready for September next year. I have to do it later. Uh, be ready a year from now, so we will have a video of the town's history. Okay, now we we've gotten to the point where I think we we had um, talked about the Judson House now. Uh, and then we did mention another... Yeah, Jensen House being the last of the pre-revolutionary uh, types of architecture. Oh, last of the pre... Pre-revolutionary. Pre-revolutionary. Okay, and that's the... Now, why the Greek Revival home period? What is this Greek Revival period? Is this where a number of Greeks migrated to the area? Or no. Why is it called the Greek Revival? Uh, oh, you mean Greek Revival in architecture, it, Yeah, it's because people right, were using this kind of classic architecture. But in the meantime, what kinds of individuals were comprising, were moving in? The population must have been growing, reproducing someone on its own, and it then you had migrations coming growing, from different places. There wasn't much in the way of migration, actually, in the, in, uh, the periods that I've mentioned to date. Uh, certainly up until 1830, there wasn't much in the way of migration. The, uh, the people were uh, either uh, uh, British, mostly British stock, and they had, they had slaves. There were, uh, what was it, uh, about 8% of the population was uh, slaves. That's a large percentage, actually. And there were more slaves along the coast than there were inland, mm -hmm. because the merchants were the ones who could afford uh, slaves. There were uh, some of the uh, people had been immigrants from France. The French Protestant Huguenots were driven out of France by the uh, French Catholics and uh, settled here. Uh, and there are a few Dutchmen. But it was mostly uh, uh, Northwest European stock that was settling here. They had driven the Indians inland and they had a, a few blacks with them, as I say. Uh, the uh, slave's life, the slave's life is, is never a, a, a great thing, but it was quite different from the southern slave uh, life. Uh, they were treated as well as uh, the bondsmen. Bondsmen were people, uh, British people, who if they wanted to come over here and didn't have the money to get here. They'd uh, sign their, their uh, they'd sign themselves away for a period of time. And, uh, so they, they too would have masters and would not really be free until a period of time was, was up. Of course, with black slave, that, that went on for his whole life, except that there were cases where black slaves were permitted to buy their own freedom. They could save up their money and pay whatever they were assessed at. They were assessed like property, like horses and cattle. And, and uh, if a slave was worth 120 pounds, there were often times where if he could save up that 120 pounds, he could buy his freedom from his master. Peculiar. Different from uh, any anything that we uh, think of, really. It wasn't the uh, the, the uh, uh, 
uh, Southern Uncle Tom's Cabin type slavery, yet at the same time, uh, ministers, uh, important lawyers, important citizens thought this was perfectly okay. They got pissed, of course, when, when uh, they uh, couldn't be free, when the king was laying down the law to them. But they didn't think this applied to their blacks. And, and, and uh, they, they uh, just an entirely different way of thinking about things. These were good people. They weren't mean people. But uh, they just couldn't think of things the same way as, as, as you do now. So the, uh, uh, the, population, uh, the population that made things happen, anyhow, were probably by this time fifth and sixth generation people who, whose ancestors had been the, the colonists. Mm -hmm. They were the ones who kept things going. Yes, now, um, what home would you find would be significant? We're going from 1840 to the next yeah. historical period. Yeah. Which, which one house would be important for that period? Representative. I said so we're going from 1840 to what? Make it up. Yeah, the next the next period, as far as architecture is concerned, is the period we call the Victorian period, and that lasted all the way really to 1880 or 1890. So 1840 to 1890. Yeah, Victoria lived a long time, so the, the period was 60 years long. But what, how did this influence come about? I mean, we have the Greek revival, now we have the Victorian. Where did this? Where's the communication come from? Uh, what happened starting at about the Civil War is that uh, there was probably more divergence of wealth in town. The poorer people didn't get any poorer, but the richer people got a lot richer. And they were able to embellish uh, their homes, to build bigger, fancier uh, homes. But capitalism now has begun to yeah, develop. Yeah, that's it. And. Uh, you know, there, there is a little tiny workman's house called Victorian Vernacular, mm -hmm. and, and it's a very simple little house and very cheap. Uh, there's uh, some of them over on Stratford Avenue near the town dock there. But the Victorian house, by and large, was a house that, that belonged uh, to the uh, uh, hotel owner or the merchant or, or the shipping owner or, or the guy who had a hell of a lot of money. And within Victorian, uh, there's a form of architecture called the Italianate. And it's a, it's a classic design that started out in the Piedmont in uh, northern Italy. And uh, there's a fabulous example of that in Stratford. It's right across the, uh, West Broad Street Green from the Perry House. It is a house that was built by Frederick Benjamin in 1854. I don't know how many rooms it has. I think it has 20 rooms. Mm -hmm. But it's three stories high, flat roof. Uh, built with uh, redstone and uh, uh, stucco, mm -hmm. and it had uh, a huge porch out front, uh, stone columns, mm -hmm. it's still there. It's used as a rooming house now, because nobody can afford to live <laughs> alone anymore. Now, at this time, during this Victorian period, if, if the development of capitalism was, well, if generally the country was getting to trade more, yeah. it must have been now, at this point, there must have been a more of an influence in shipping. Uh, and, Absolutely. And, and so, there. At what point was was it during this period where Stratford became? Was Stratford ever, first of all, a seaport, or was there? Okay. Yeah. Those good questions. Uh, earlier on in colonial time, uh, there were there were a lot of vessels uh, sailing out of Stratford, going down to the uh, West Indies, and even going over to Europe. They weren't very big. 
Uh, I doubt if any of it was 100 feet in length. But, uh, yeah, in the, in the colonial period, there were a lot of sea captains from Stratford. But what happened is they got into the, uh, the 1800s. The ships got larger and larger. Uh, this kind of thing, and even Bridgeport was no longer a place you could, you could uh, uh, take a ship from, a 200-ton a ship or a 400-ton uh, ship, and, and go to Europe or China. So they started, the uh, ship, ship's captains then, or, or shipping companies, really, uh, for the foreign trade, they were all operating out of New York. But interestingly enough, a great many of their sea captains lived here in Stratford. Really, they, you know, they might be away for a year or two, but when they came home, uh, they'd come to 60 miles up to Stratford, and this is where they had their families and their homes. And, uh, in other words, right in this particular area? Oh, absolutely. Right here. Absolutely. And, of course, it was close. They, they were close to the ocean. Uh, but on the other on the other hand, where was the development? Where would you say? Just a question. Where would the center of or the center of town be developed? Uh, be at this time. In other words, where would the and the governmental yeah. district would be up the street yeah. up there. That where it originally uh, stands. In, in the place in the uh, south of the town hall, in, in the spot we call Stratford Center. It, it's where the old Stratford Theater is. That would be and the where Lovells is. Of town. Yeah, that was the center. The town hall was always within a stone's throw of that. Mm -hmm. uh, the, some of the churches were, and of course one of the churches is still there. Uh, all the little businesses were in, in that area. When they finally put up a firehouse, where the firehouse was there, and so on. And where did the, where do you think the wealthiest communities lived at that time? Do you have any idea? Yeah, well they were scattered all around. Most of them were right down here on Elm Street. They were, in other words, they were right on the water. Uh, or, or close so enough to the close water. Close enough to yeah. the water. Historically, that's a yeah. little, yeah. It's a little odd. Uh, the Gorhams lived in this house for about two, three generations. Now, this was earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, from 1750 to about 1840, the Gorhams lived here. Your home? Yeah. And okay. Captain Gorham, uh, he had a 100-ton uh, vessel, and he kept it right across the street. Now, that would draw eight feet, and he was able to keep that, uh, uh, to winter that vessel right over there. Mm -hmm. So, in other words, Victor this is, your, your house would be considered during the, built during the Victorian period? No, uh, this, this house was changed a hell of a lot. People who lived in it were always able to spend the money to change it. And the result is they corrupted it, really. It's not an example, a good example of any kind of architecture. Well, but, but, on, the, but on the other hand, the basic house, as far as you know, was built during... It was, it was built in the 1730s as a built, salt box. It was built in the 1730s. Yeah, and right now, if you stand away, it looks like one of these Italianates. So it's actually part of the... English town period, you want to call it? Yeah. Or, you know, we can, maybe we can just... Yeah, that's what it was called. English town period. So that this is what might be an English type of... Yeah. Okay. But um, it, as I say, it, it ended up having an 1846 facade put on it. Okay, now the sea captains. What What were some of the other... Well, the famous sea captains that lived? Well, the one we think of, uh, the one we know most about is, is uh, Captain John Sterling. Mm -hmm. because it was his daughter who gave Sterling House to the town, the community center. And today, people don't really know much about the rest of these uh, sea captains, but uh, Captain Pulaski Benjamin uh, made uh, record-breaking runs to China with his clipper ships in the 1840s. He, he beat records. His name was Pulaski, 1840s, the clipper Pulaski period. Benjamin. Yeah, just the beginning of it.
And then, of course, as you said, steam was also emerging, but steam didn't come about until... Well, yeah, what about the clipper ships? For right oceanic uh, uh, trips, uh, uh, sail lasted well beyond the Civil War. But for coastwise uh, trips, the uh, steamboats really took, took the trade away from the little schooners and, and uh, sloops and stuff that had been doing the sailing. Was, was, uh, were boats ever used as transportation up the, what, what, up, you know, up the coast here? Did they use it? The town ever used that? Oh, they did. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 As a form of transportation. Otherwise, they would build the road here. What would be the main road? Is there a strip through Stratford mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, was yeah, a it's It's changed from time to time, but it is the road that it started out as an Indian path. Then they called it the King's Highway. And then, uh, uh, after Ben Franklin was postmaster in 1757, they started calling it the, the Post Road. And they ben still Franklin was postmaster. Yeah, do you know that? Uh, uh, postman, uh, he was colonial postmaster for the northern half of the colonies. And that's the year he actually came through Stratford and he put up all these milestones. And he did that because people were... Uh, uh, the, uh, the post office uh, <coughs> charged by the mile. Yet there was a lot of arguments how many miles something was from some, something else. So he had a uh, device, a, an odometer, really, put on his carriage. And every mile, he stopped and drove the peg in, and men stayed there and put a stone in. There's two of those stones in Stratford now. Uh, one of them's up the hill on West Broad Street. That was the post road until later on, the post road became Stratford Avenue and Environment Avenue and such. But that's where it was until about 1900. And then there's another one over near the, uh, uh, the new laundry over on Ferry Boulevard. Ben Franklin's, ben Franklin's home? Nobody knows no. where he lived. Uh, well, he lived in Philadelphia. Oh, but while he was postmaster, he wasn't here as postmaster. He no, post he, yeah. he, he, uh, he uh, had everything from Philadelphia up to Maine. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there was another guy that uh, was running south from Philadelphia down in the Carolinas. Yeah. So he did come through here occasionally. I did that. I, I read a pretty conscientious man did the job. Yeah, he was interested. <laughs> so the main the main highway is was the Boston Post Road, and in some parts of uh, this area you will see still see it called that. Uh, it's uh, here in Stratford we call a piece of it Boston Avenue. Uh, over in Fairfield you still see it labeled the Post Road. Uh, to go east you'll see places where it's called the Post Road. Oh, and Fairfield was another part still called the King's Highway. Nice. So you have Indian Path, King's Highway, and then it goes into Post Road. Post Road, and that's where it is today, right? Yeah. Then it became US-1. Now it's US-1. <laughs> and the exact path, the, the exact route well, is US-1? Well, no, they changed them every now and then. Oh, uh, so in the original road is not known. No, I, I can show you where it was in the historical map. Of time. But, I, but And I, I would bet that there are probably homes in the area. In oh, yeah. The original. Oh yeah, no, along the original. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting that that was covered up. It's interesting that that street, that that road was covered up. Why? It was it awkward for the town, or uh, what? What historically or structurally happened in the town that decided to take the main road? If that was used as the main road of going in and out of town to going out of Stratford, perhaps in other parts of Connecticut, or to the water, to the waterfront. 
then uh, at one point the development of it, I guess, uh, kings to, you see, it was important here, Indian path to name it, then kings indicate, uh, and then it went into post road, okay, now why uh, post road, post office, or uh, whatever, and, uh, and then went into US-1, still US-1, which is an important road, was held in importance. Why main migration route? I don't know, that's a question. That's one of my questions. Um, now we go, we go here from, uh, let's see, 1840 to 1890, the Victorian period, and we are, we just, that, that, that was this, that particular home was very nice, and it kind of tied us in with this. Now we go from the Victorian period to 1890 to the next period, right? What's that? I guess you can stop breaking it down architecturally after that, because there are architectural names for uh, some of the various uh, uh, types of houses. So, oh, but it wasn't as clear-cut after that. So in other words, can we say the modern, modern period started in 1890? Yeah. And one of the most important kind of architecture in the 1890s, massive buildings, railroad stations, uh, courthouses, things like that, uh, they were called Romanesque. And, and you can usually tell them because they'll have huge brick arches uh, in the uh, in the facade, uh, and the arch is circular. It's the Roman arch, not the Gothic arch or, or, or anything else. And uh, there was a, an architect named Richardson who nationally did a hell of a lot of these things. <coughs> Anyhow, uh, buildings built in the 1880s or 1890s, or and then shortly after the uh, uh, turn of the century, often were called Richardson Romanesque because they were designed by this man Richardson. Uh, an example of that kind of architecture, Richardson didn't do it, but uh, uh, somebody else did it in his style, is the Sterling House that I mentioned. Uh, the uh, son of John Sterling, the sea captain, uh, went to Yale, became a lawyer, left New York, uh, and he became Daniel Drew's lawyer. Do you know who Daniel Drew was? you remember Daniel Drew? Erie Railroad. He was the... Uh, guy who bought all the stock in the Erie Railroad and swindled Commodore Vanderbilt and, and they yes, got I judges know. out against each other yes. and the rest of the world got poor and the Erie Railroad went bankrupt several times but Daniel Drew made a hell of a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Well sitting on his coattails was this New England lawyer and he was a very young man when he first started working for uh, Drew in the, uh, it was in the uh, 1866 or uh, 1867, I'm not sure I had the dates exactly right, maybe 1872. But in this period of time when he was manipulating the Erie stock, uh, in the back office he had this young lawyer working for him. Now this guy is a uh, congregational church-going man who thinks it's unethical to uh, work on Sundays and all this kind of thing, and he's helping this character. Uh, John Sterling uh, was just an excellent technician. And suddenly Drew's finding these, these uh, suggestions written up as to what he should do next uh, by this different hand. And it's not the guy's running his uh, lawyer's business. It's this clerk in the back office. And he finds out who he is. And <coughs> pretty soon, uh, uh, Sterling, uh, he recognizes Sterling as being better than Sterling's bosses. And Sterling eventually left the uh, company, uh, uh, Field and Company, I think was his name, that he was with, and started his own law office. And before he knew it, uh, all of the uh, uh, big uh, 
uh, businessmen in New York City were coming to him for business. So he knew what was going on and he knew where to invest his money. He became one of the first of the corporate lawyers. Uh, so in uh, the 1890s, uh, he never got married, he was, he was interested in his business. Uh, but in the 1890s, he built for his mother and his two sisters this house in Stratford called, we call it Sterling House. And that's the house that later one of his sisters gave her to Tom. Uh, John and the Tom never really got along with each other. He, he lived in New York most of the time and he just came up here to visit actually. And when he died, it turned out that all his, he was a multimillionaire and, and a buck was worth an awful lot more then than it is now. But when he died in 1918, he didn't leave the money to the town, he left it to his university. His university was Yale University. Now you may have been in the Sterling Library up at Yale University, but he left them enough money, not only for the library, but for the uh, chemistry lab, uh, for the uh, uh, graduate school, uh, for the law school, there's another building called the Sterling Tower. And when they finally put John Sterling's money to work, uh, 10, 12 years after he died, they kept it for a while, but when they finally put it to work and built all these buildings, Yale University was worth twice what it was worth before John Sterling died. He actually doubled the real estate of that university. So he's, he's the guy that's responsible for that lovely house that we use as our community center, although he never would have given it to Stratford himself. It's just fortunate that his sister outlived him and the town got it. The, uh, in 1890, the modern period, might the modern period be broken down into, let's say, two or three periods as well? Because, I mean, 1890 is significantly immense. You know. Oh, you, I'm, I'm sure you can, yeah. Uh, is yeah. there any particular house that, let's say, if we go, let's say 1900 is nice. Is there a 1900 and maybe a 1930? And, and then, of course, it's easy for 1950, right? Everybody can relate to 1950, but if we go 1900, 1890, 1900, 1930, is there any, any particular historical poems that you feel a good representation of a, a range of, uh, you know, in that, in that area? Yeah, there are uh, quite a few uh, very impressive 1900s period houses uh, still around. There were, there were a couple different architectures being uh, uh, used, of course, at the same time, and the houses might look quite different. But there is a, uh, uh, and this, I'm going to throw another architectural style at you, mm -hmm. the Queen Anne Revival style. Uh, and uh, the, uh, oh, let's say the family who lives on Elm Street and Judson Place, southwest corner, uh, Grand Champs. Uh, Ray Grand Champ is the uh, uh, administrative executive for uh, St. Vincent's Hospital over in Bridgeport. Uh, but uh, the Grandchamps uh, live in this uh, late 1890s or just about 1900 uh, uh, Queen Anne Revival house. And they have just repainted it the way it, uh, it was originally. And it has all sorts of, of columns in it. It has several different types of, sh of shingles and so on. And they've painted the house in four colors and it looks absolutely beautiful. It's really neat. So, yeah, that's a... Uh, do you have another... I mean, I'll go over and drive over. Do you have another four colors there? Uh, I can't remember. It's, it's red, tan, and brown, and it's, it's in that... There's, there's no garish blues or greens in it, as I remember. Uh -huh. But it's, uh, it's beautifully put together.
Yet right across the street from that is uh, uh, Judson's, uh, or, or is a house that was built by uh, Edmund Judson. Edmund Judson was the president of the uh, uh, Bridgeport City Trust Company, and it's just a plain shingle house. And that's what they were called. The, some, the houses were called shingle style. It was very popular from about 1880 to 1910. Many big cottages were made shingle style. I guess they were really impressed with shingles in those days. Yeah, right? yeah. But here's uh, two houses about the same period, and they look absolutely vastly different. From each and other. houses prior to this didn't have shingles, right? Or they just had regular roofs. <laughs> well, no, they, they had shingles, but uh, they uh, uh, they weren't. Stylish. Yeah, the shingle style, you really notice the shingles, because it seems as though it's all shingles. So people in the 1900, the modern period, people are becoming more concerned, they're becoming more wealthy, and, they, and, and they're becoming very concerned about how they look and how they sure. look to their neighbors and so on and so sure. forth. So you're becoming a, they're becoming class conscious at this time, 1900. On that same corner, on the northeast corner of uh, that same street, is a very good uh, 1920s period house. It belonged to the Begg family for a long time. And uh, we would call that California style. California style? Yeah. What, what year was that? Uh, about 1920. And again, California style really ran up through 1930 or so. And uh, it has a pair of massive columns on a small porch. These columns you can just about put your arms around on a small porch out front. Uh, the house is, is very simple. Uh, clabbards, probably uh, seven or eight inches of, uh, between clabbards. The roof is four-sided and almost flat. It's quite different. We're going to go into the into the into the 1950s. Uh, we've covered another another. Uh, we've covered, I think, uh, a significant number of homes. However. Um, are there any homes right that stand out in your mind that you might be able to, or you would like to, uh, at least represent in any of these stages? You can just, you know, just something that you feel is important in terms of that. And and, and then my second question would be is, what did you think we were going to talk about? I think that's very important for me to know too. Oh, you mentioned the history book. I thought we were going to. We, oh, we'll we'll during that chat through oh, the we'll, we'll uh, get the outline of what's in we'll the book. We'll like get we get into that too. No, okay. You going to do that today too? Well, is it, is, it, is it a bit much for you? you well, it sounds to me as though you've got <laughs> Well, I've got, to, see, I've got to go through all this and I've got to try to develop something that's readable for the public. You yeah. Know what I mean? yeah, so, so this is going to take you... Uh, oh, yeah. I, I think, you've got, a, I think you've got a full plate here already. Ten hours or something. Do the other thing another time, probably. Well, no, but of course I have to mention your book. I mean, you're yeah. the author. I mean, all of that is going to be... We're getting into that. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, okay. Now in, in uh, your book. Let's talk about your book. All right. Uh, this is your second book, third book. Or nope, it's the uh, it's the first book I've written as a book. I uh, I haven't done any of this, uh, or I haven't, I haven't uh, uh, published before. Uh, my uh, writing background has, has been rather diverse. Or, or I should say rather different from uh, this type of writing background. Once again, in my business, uh, my, uh, uh, the writing that I have had to do has been proposal preparation. Uh, how to persuade the federal government that you have the best possible uh, helicopter for their needs. Mm -hmm. 
And, uh, yes, you're a helicopter <laughs> designer, and you worked at Sikorsky Airport? That's right. And Sikorsky Aircraft. Aircraft, yeah. For every competition that you win, you probably lose ten. Uh, so, uh, now how many years did you spend? Forty, forty-five. Forty-five years yeah. at Sikorsky? Yeah. And you recently retired? Yeah, retired two, three, three years ago. <coughs> yep. And uh, uh, how long did it take you to write your book? Uh, well, <laughs> uh, it isn't done yet. I've been working on it for a year, and there'll be another four months before we're... Approximately four months, but yeah. the basically the book is written, yeah. kind of revising uh, it. Actually, uh, I'm doing it together. I've, I've asked uh, other people to help me. I've got about 14 other uh, authors doing little bits and pieces, but I still ended up doing three-quarters of it myself. And the, uh, the preparation period, of course, is your whole life. It's everything you've learned about local history. Uh, the uh, first uh, draft writing uh, has been a, was about a seven-month uh, period, and I'm going through a three-month uh, uh, revise it, polish it up, edit it period of my own, and then there'll be uh, another two or three months where I'm working with the publisher and, and other people for the final form. So this is your, your pride and joy at this point. Right? Well, it's, I, I wouldn't say pride and joy. I, I think it's the millstone around my neck. That's what it is <laughs> at this point. Uh, I'll show you the way we're going in. By the way, it's, uh, when it's finished, it's going to look something like Oh, this is beautiful. This, it'll, it'll be about 50% uh, figure wider than that, or figure yeah. fatter than that. I'm, I'm sure you're. But that's one that's, that uh, the same publisher has put out on uh, Greenwich, so it'll be general that style. Mm -hmm. you, I, you, do you feel it? I mean, you, you had the, I'm sure you had the support of your wife. I'm sure she's very proud of your, your work. And well, it gets a little trying uh, on her, I guess, now and then. <laughs> I, I get up every morning at 5.30, closet myself on the fourth floor, and she doesn't see me except for meals. You know, that's, that's no fun, so she's been pretty understanding. What 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 times of the day do you like the best? Mornings, evenings? Oh yeah, you can you can accomplish the most in the uh, in the morning. In the morning. Yeah. Uh, I use my afternoons for touching bases with people uh, on this book writing. I'm <coughs> in the afternoons I may go out and do what you're doing here, uh, interviewing people, find things out, or going down to the library and doing a little uh, research, or going over to the police department and shaking some pictures loose from them and things of that sort. But the morning is the time when the guide was created. This is the seventh of it here. This is, this is what, uh, I said it was in seven parts. This is what part three looks like. I like to look at the original manuscripts. Somehow they seem more authentic to me, you know. And it's nice when they come out in the book because <laughs> this, is, this is where it is, right yeah. here. This is where all the, the energy and the, yeah. and the effort is. You, 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 I see you have a computer? Yeah. What kind of computer do you have? Uh, it's a leading edge. Leading edge? Yeah. Good computer. And my, uh, my pro the program I'm using is the Multimate program. Mm -hmm. It's the same that the town's using all their departments. I find Multimate works pretty well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's good. It's a good program. I mean, you know, it came, it's one of the first ones, right? I think it was one of the so you learned yeah. word processing? Yeah, it's, it's an earlier one. It's an, it's an early program. I guess WordStar is the one that I first heard of. People said Multimate was better, and I got that. There have been uh, several new and simpler ones. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, when I bought this leading edge computer, I had it. Uh, 
they themselves have a software program called uh, Leading Edge Word Processing Loop, and it's much simpler uh, to use than the program I'm using. You know, almost as good. You know, it's, it's, it's only half as difficult, but 90% uh, as good. So I'm not sure that if I were starting over, I wouldn't use Loop. Approximately how many pages do you think your, your book is going to be? Uh, well, I can tell you exactly. 360. 360 yeah. pages. Are you getting anyone to design the cover for you? Are you going to design your one? The uh, well, I'm going to. Uh, we're going to have a meeting with the publisher next week. Mm -hmm. You're going to have some input into that. that? Yeah. yeah. I see. I, have, I, I think probably on the uh, dust cover it'll, it'll look a lot like the kind of thing we have here. Mm -hmm. But the picture will be Milton Bond is just uh, uh, Milton Bond's an artist of uh, Lusitanic. He paints on glass. Mm -hmm. And he's done things for various other towns here. And uh, well, he did one commission for the White House egg rolling at the, in, uh, the egg rolling at uh, Easter, uh, or, or the Easter egg hunt mm -hmm. at the, on the White House lawn, and, uh, things like that. So uh, Milton just completed one of these for Stratford. So I suspect that the picture that we have on the front there is going to be Milton's uh, uh, painting on glass. You see, but uh, other people have come through with some magnificent stuff. I had a young artist that lives down in Lordship, and just two hours ago, uh, Chris Blossom is his name, <coughs> gave me a transparency of a painting that he made. This is right out here on the Housatonic uh, in about the 1850s. Oh, this is beautiful. Isn't that lovely? Oh, I'd love to have a picture. Yeah. <laughs> Can so, I get it? Uh, this, this, this is a painting. That's a painting. Uh, and oh, this and this this is an expensive. This is a color. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's uh, not cheap. Uh, what uh, Chris has given us there, because I know uh, this guy paid a hundred bucks for this one. This is a 19th century painting that has just turned up. Can these can this these be uh, can these be you know can a photograph be made from this? Is there a negative to this that they can make a, a, a large photograph or poster or anything like that from this? I don't know. I mean, I know they can make posters yeah. and yeah. I think maybe they can. They can make some posters or they can make some pictures. These are beautiful. Look at the colors. Yeah. That's amazing. Who's the artist in it? We don't know. Unknown artist? It's just turned up. You know how it Did turned up? Did they look up. into the frame or something? Maybe he went down in there. Or maybe he signed his uh, name in there. Or something. <laughs> Someday somebody will find out uh, who it is. But uh, the only reason we know the thing exists is somebody out in Ohio had it. <laughs> Two years ago, uh, this uh, Stanford Historical Society came out with a history of the town of St Stanford. Mm -hmm. This picture I just showed you was the centerpiece of that history of the town of Stanford, mm -hmm. and it was also their dust cover. Well, weren't they upset when uh, we said, hey, that isn't Stanford, that's Stratford? Oh, impossible. But the, all four buildings on here are, uh, in that picture are recognizable. One's the Christ Church, one's the Lovejoy Tavern, one is the... Uh, uh, Academy that stood on top of Academy Hill, and once the local school. Have you have you always enjoyed writing? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, had some pretty good talent instructing us. We had uh, when we were doing these proposals uh, at Sikorsky, the company uh, brought in a uh, an expert uh, to work with us, and year after year after year they bring in the same man. Uh, it's Dr. Eugene Ehrlich is his name. He was at Columbia. And he's written a hell of a lot of books on, on just that kind of thing. But he really taught us a lot. And I think when we were finished, he learned more about engineering than we did about uh, 
uh, writing because he could pick up engineering errors all over the place. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he was fun, but working with Gene, I think, uh, really taught me an awful lot about how to say something simply. Mm -hmm. The man was good. And as I say, the, the, uh, oh, oh, excuse me. What was your wife's name again? Vivian. And uh, Vivian. Okay. And um, and this gentleman's last name that you just mentioned. The working uh, with uh, the uh, expert Eugene yeah. Ehrlich. Or, uh, Eugene Ehrlich. Ehrlich. Yeah. How would you spell Ehrlich? E R L I C H. E R L I C H. Okay. And uh, he was he was with Columbia. In fact, he's still. I don't think he does much teaching. He does mostly writing. Mm -hmm. He's just written uh, a new one called Amo Amas Amat, uh, wherein uh, he's, uh, he, he takes all the Latin phrases that we use every day and, he, and, and forget that they're Latin. Uh, you know, he's, he's, put all, he's broken all of this down and given us the derivation of this is what you're saying and why. It's fascinating. Do you enjoy Do you enjoy writing? What 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 made yeah. you? Uh, I mean, do you enjoy writing, or, or, or was, was it an intellectual decision to write the book, or you know, or you've always been interested in history? I would we needed a we needed a, his, a local history book, and we have uh, things that purport to be local history books, but they're simply delineations or recording of uh, lists of names and things of that sort. And the real history isn't in there, so I decided it was time to put it down. It was. Uh, what we have on previous history books is, uh, I say, just a bunch of uh, factual things about who was town manager when and a list of postmasters and things of that sort. The story of uh, how Alfred Ely Beach built the first subway in New York City. Alfred Ely Beach lived next door here. How he built the first subway in New York City is nowhere in history. Mm -hmm. uh, the story of, of uh, the Beardsleys doing their counterfeiting in 1752 is nobody, nowhere in history. <laughs> <laughs> These are the things that, that we're starting to put down. So, and of course, you're—I guess this is re this is really a focal point in terms of your career because you've spent so many years as an engineer, and now to do this at the end of your life—I mean, what do you feel about that? I mean, is this something that you've always wanted to do, or is something that you thought about that you know? Oh, there's no question that uh, uh, I felt that somebody needed to do what I'm doing mm -hmm. for a long, long time. Do you do you write uh, a newspaper, or you go write it right with the computer? Is how, or you do all different kinds of things, I guess. I'm I'm doing it all on the keyboard now. Any, any writing I do, I do on the keyboard. I don't write them long. I see. And I would imagine you have a very large collection of historical volumes, or yeah, yeah. I've uh, specifically for Stratford. Or yes, I've accumulated. A, well, how many books would you say there are on Stratford? Well, on aspects of Stratford, there are a great many things. Uh, we mentioned William Samuel Johnson. There are about three biographies on uh, Johnson, uh, one done uh, by uh, a fellow named Beardsley uh, over a hundred years ago, and then some recent ones. There's one on his father, also done by uh, uh, Beardsley. There, uh, there are, are uh, stories on all aspects of the thing. Uh, you know, if you, uh, if you, uh, well, here, uh, if you look at uh, Christopher Collier's uh, book, uh, Decision in Philadelphia, uh, where he writes about the summer of the Constitutional Convention, mm -hmm. that took place in, in uh, Philadelphia and it was nationwide. But our Willie Sam Johnson is, uh, is in it. 
and, and uh, it gives you perspective on things that were happening in Stratford. And if you know uh, 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 what was happening in Stratford, it gives you some uh, perspective on that guy mm -hmm. and uh, how, how and why he did what he did and the influence it's had on the rest of us. And uh, the, uh, when you study the War of 1812 in history, they tell you about the scourge and the rattlesnake, the privateers that disrupted all the British shipping in the North Sea. Mm -hmm. the, uh, yeah, because there is, a, there is a great influence and a structure, historical structure of uh, buccaneers and privateers. A, and yeah. It's an interesting period of history, their yeah, development, yeah. and they've kind of phased out. Well, but a guy who yeah. owned the Scourge lived down here in Lordship. Yeah. Built his house in Lordship. Where did he consider himself? A privateer? Oh, yeah. Uh, he were partially worked for the government and partially was a pirate, huh? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but he, uh, he he was doing all this for his own income. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he, wor he partially worked for the government because they gave him the ticket. Uh, but he did it all to get rich, and he did. He got rich. His name was Nickel. Benjamin Nickel. Uh, you read about uh, 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 Benedict Arnold and you're reading about Stratford. Benedict Arnold was better than people think. It's like somebody... <laughs> is Benedict Arnold your, your idol? Huh? Is Benedict He's Arnold? not exactly my idol, but he did a hell of a lot of good before he did the bad things. Uh, in the uh, Battle of Lake Champlain, in the uh, Revolution, uh, one of his ship's captains was a, a Stratford guy, Samuel Hawley. And, uh, David Hawley, rather. And uh, uh, David Hawley uh, was, was important to the revolution because what Arnold and his crew did, they lost the uh, uh, battle on the uh, uh, lake uh, against the Brits, uh, but they kept the Brits from coming down and dividing the uh, colonies in two. Stratford man did that. Nobody knows it. These are the things we're putting in the book. That's nice. That's, I think yeah. it's going to be fun. Do you, do you think that... Um the style of the book, your style of writing, is it would be. Do you feel the book is very specialized in the sense that um, uh, you would have to have a vast history or a significant history uh, background in Stratford to to get into it, or or you think that uh, I'm not writing it for scholars. So you're writing I'm, it for the public to and enjoy, I'm, and I'm not for people to enjoy. Uh, from school kids to. Uh, Anybody who would be interested in this Yeah. Maybe I would hope yeah. the high school And uh, I'm not even going to put any footnotes in it. Uh, I do think that I'll, I'll probably make up a separate compendium of, of uh, sources for scholars or something yeah. like that. Sure. But it isn't going to be in the basic book. People well, you know, I that. guess you'd have to give it to the public. Who's going to be publishing the book anyway? Uh, the uh, outfit uh, that uh, uh, did this is called Phoenix uh, Publishing. They're up in New Hampshire. And I've looked, they've done, I think, 52 local histories. Uh, so they they got some experience in that kind of thing. And, uh, they're the publisher. Uh, when you say the publisher, they're the technical publishers. <laughs> the uh, Stratford Historical Society really is, is publishing it. And if enough are sold, so if there is any profit, uh, uh, it will go into the uh, uh, a uh, published publications fund that the society will keep for some future historical publications. Uh, nobody's making any money on this. I may have to pay a few people to uh, do a bit of the illustrative material. So you'd say but aside from the uh, uh, from Phoenix uh, Publishing itself, nobody's making a cent. Interesting. I'm getting volunteer help right through. People have been very good.
Excuse me, can I have a mentor? Sure. There is a step down between there and there. It's only about a foot lower down there in the front rooms. It's beautiful. And this, that's one of the indications this place was built as one of those uh, salt boxes. There's some uh, old family. I see. Vivian? Yes. Joe wants to take your picture. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't give you any, 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 any. <laughs> yes, you do. You look wonderfully historical. Uh, why don't you come out with your uh, wooden spoon? I didn't, tell, I, I, didn't, I didn't tell you that uh, when I'm writing a history book, she's writing a historical uh, cookbook to go with it. Yeah, I'm writing the Tristan Quinque Genery cookbook. Is that right? <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, we, we're going to have to have to have an inter a separate interview for your cookbook, okay? Oh my goodness. It's a caraway seed yeah. caught in your teeth. Uh, I don't Candy believe it. it was made in 1750? Yeah. Oh, well, this was. This batch wasn't made in 1750. Yeah, we're busy collecting all recipes. No, it isn't good for dogs. It's caught in your teeth. Mm. Uh, you're serious about this? You don't look too great either. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You look wonderfully. Oh, this is your office? Yeah. Oh, this is nice. Yeah. This is most of the rest of my book up there. Uh-huh. Uh, nice. Uh, by the way, I'll make a copy of this tape and I'll give it to you. Oh, okay. Yeah, most of the rest of the material I've uh, been collecting. Uh, I use the, uh, the Historical Society has, has uh, a pretty good uh, collection of stuff. But collected a few of my own in the meantime. And once in a while I go up to uh, Hartford, the Connecticut Historical Society. They've got uh, manuscript stuff that's in the Northern History. I think you might be able to just, you might break it. Just make it. Sure. This way I can get a little bit of the helicopter in there as well. Before you do, uh, Does some take the spider webs off? I beg your pardon? Is the spider webs off? No, I was thinking of... Uh, you like to look at it? Taking a book out. I'll, I'll take These are black and white, so these are the types of things that would be in One of my co-authors uh, did this, uh, another one just did this, Shane Wheeler was, uh, these are friends of yours? Uh, well, they are now, yeah, because they're contributing to the book. The guys that have done other things on their own. Was that uh, Panasonic or? Epson. Epson. Oh, that's a good, good company. This is a wonderful. Leading Edge is excellent. I uh, like it very much. We did have one breakdown of the monitor. What you do with this thing? Is it this is a 20-month warranty. You want it. Let me check all those
that should work. And then it's it, this whole thing is extremely simple. You can see why it should be very popular with the girls' club. <laughs> <laughs> it's got about two hundred names on this. I just uh, updated the list for the month. This is for newsletters to the Connecticut Poetry Society sends out every month. That's the only way to go, right? The only way to do it. Isn't that something? It's amazing how much it organizes your life. And, yeah. oh. Is this a particular nice, very nice room? Is this a See, what part of the house was what, what? What was this? This was a bedroom. This was a uh, small bedroom over here and a very large bathroom. I uh, originally, when this house was built, the roof came down to here, and this whole thing was just a shed. Uh -huh. In fact, uh, that's one of the overhung uh, beam members up there, mm -hmm. and there was a roof plate running right across to here, which said the roof was this high at this point, and it really came down to the room was only three feet high at the end. Now, interestingly, they have the original doors. Those are just wood doors. I mean, yeah. they're wonderful. Actually, they're very warm. I mean, historical, anyway, in historical sense. I kind of like the place. <laughs> you know, sensationalism, it really is. I mean, it's, I, mean I, I, I went right from when I went downstairs into your living room. That's your living room. It's wonderful. Experience down there. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, as long as you come this way, I'll get off the other two that the captain's walk. You got all right. Oh, yeah. Not in a rush. Yeah. yeah. We'll take you up this way. These are the... Uh, the front parts of the second floor. Uh, there's oh, yeah, six fireplaces in the house. Wow. I guess well, that's what, that's the way they did it in those days. They only used a fireplace for heat. Yeah. You know? uh, do they do they uh, have you used them? And do they do they they're warm? all workable? Like, I mean, it's, uh, how could they stay warm? And they really had to pr practically sit on top of it, right? Well, that's right. That's <laughs> right. And you're up on the third floor now, and this was put onto the house in the 1840s. And you can see the ceilings are a lot higher here than they were down below. This really was, uh, they tried to turn it into an Italian eighth house. That's what this part represents. Watch your head come out here. I have to talk to your wife about it. Uh, about her good, get the name of it in there, I just mentioned Get a good shot of the sound out there. Oh, that's nice. And the theater over yonder. They got the outside of the theater pretty much fixed up now, all painted and re-looked and things like that. Twenty-two years ago, we could see the airport from here, and then they put the two condos in and shut off a little bit of our view. Little house over there that you can't. <coughs> really see behind the trees is where the man I mentioned, Albert Ely Beach, lived. Mm -hmm. He was Thomas Edison's patent attorney, and he founded a scientific Amer American magazine. Fascinating. So, well, people in Stratford did a lot of things. 
Yeah, well, I'll just try to, you know. This is some beautiful furniture. This is your choice of furniture. Some of it, uh, old antiques, or just yeah. these two pieces are what was called Larkin furniture. You probably don't know about that, but uh, one of these soap companies, the Larkin Soap Company, you saved the uh, coupons, and then you handed them in for about three dollars worth of coupons. You got one of these chairs. Let me get a picture of you up here. Do you have pictures of yourself? I guess I don't. I don't have any pictures of us here. I never think to come up here with a camera. I used to come up with the Sunday Times in February, uh, Sunday. The nicest thing, thing in the world. You know, the sun warms this place on a Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. It was very comfortable, but somehow lately I haven't, haven't had time to do that. Interesting. People must not have been very tall in those days, right? <laughs> Ceilings are higher here. Yeah, yeah. The ceilings are much higher. Uh, these built in the 1840s are much higher. This is just all storage space now. We don't use it for anything. All occasionally, if we have a bunch of friends, they Did you say you wanted something from this in the name of the cookbook? Or? Yes, I did. Okay. Maybe, maybe she she can talk about it. Can you just give me a brief statement and I can just mention it? Uh, right. Well, you can say that we are looking for recipes that are Stratford recipes that are over 50 years old that have been used in this town. And we're going to publish the cookbook next year with um, little notes of anecdotes of Stratford history and uh, something to do with how the ladies used to cook. And we'd be delighted to put my name and address or my telephone number in if people would send us old recipes. Everybody has an old uh, book. Okay, that now their who mother should she send them to? Name, address. Uh, okay, what? Vivian Mayer. It's V I V I E N N E. Sorry about that. 320 Shore Road. And I'm the editor of the 350th book. The uh, historical side is sponsoring. Okay, and the. Uh, this is the. Um, so they have to be at least 50 years old, right? <coughs> and, and they have to be Stratford. Stratford related. Stratford, of course. Yes. Stratford I don't want the recipe that somebody won a prize for in Michigan. <laughs> and they can be desserts, it can be anything. Anything, any kind of food. Any kind of yeah. food. Mm -hmm. okay. And is there a name of the book or you have a name? We, we don't have one right yet. Now. We're just starting. Yeah. Okay. And they should address it to you, or well, let's mm -hmm. say cookbook. Mm -hmm. That'd be great. Or maybe, maybe, I don't know if they should. You know, no, they should. But you write cookbook and then... As long as they address right. it to me and it's a recipe. I'm, oh, and they should uh, give me an attribution. Who, who used the recipe? Where it uh, came from. Right, where it came from. Right. Somebody dropped a recipe in my book last week and said, Viv, let me know if you want more. I don't know who. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still running around trying to find out who left that. So uh, I do like to get names. I'll give you uh, copies, by the way, of all these pictures in as well. So you get the whole thing in. So you have a whole little historical sketch of yourself, right? <laughs> That's fun. We're kind of starting to run a cottage industry in history here, I think. Ah, interesting, a cottage industry.
It's not going to run off the bottom of the label, is it? No, it's still on. No. Well, from the time our town was founded until the revolution. Mm -hmm. And it was after uh, uh, after uh, uh, King George and the uh, uh, Duke uh, took over. Well, really, it was, it was earlier than that. It was after uh, 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 King James and uh, the Duke of York took over uh, that that became part of New York. We always considered uh, that to be Connecticut. And even after that, that was... Uh, they considered Long Island, Connecticut? Oh, yeah. Interesting. And it was until the 1680s. Mm -hmm. And then the king turned it over to New York. But uh, people yes. from here and there, they, they, they went back and forth all the time anyhow. I haven't looked at that uh, stuff. It, it was the same families. It was the same people living on both sides of the sound. Yeah, and they did, they did uh, well. They didn't, in the wintertime, they used to, uh, mostly in the winter. Well, actually, you see, Flanders is on the, is somewhat on the south shore. It's unfair to say... But there was, in other words, Flanders is somewhat in Southampton. It's yeah. geologic, geographically yeah. in Southampton, but it's uh, taxes. They pay taxes in Southampton, the school districts in the Riverhead, so it's kind of like Riverhead, Southampton. And what we're talking about here is the development of the north, what they would call there, Northville, the mm -hmm. North Shore, mm -hmm. or really northern right part. <coughs> there, it's all farmland now, yeah. all up there, except for a small area. Uh, but actually, I, I haven't looked on the map to... Uh, draw any relation, direct relationship between yeah. the which counties and development of any. Although right now I'm tired, I think. So, um, oh, thank you.